Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friends, my partners in radio, Barnabas Piper and Ronald J. Martin. Baby, you're on the road again. Ronnie Tarmac is back. Mm. Where are we at? Louisville. Oh, Louisville. Beautiful, beautiful Louisville. But, you know, uh, hey man, I just get to drive down, so I don't got don't to gotta hit the tarmac, so I can, uh, you know, it feels a little more normal. Skip the tarmac. So um, you got a big breakfast this morning? Like a like a like a, a mover and shaker breakfast or no just no, no no mover and shakers yeah just standard uh, Harbor Network uh, first yeah. of the year kind of kind of business deal so yeah 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 what well, I'm in town Jesus be big you know just just <laughs> hold, hold, holding it down here in Jackson um, boys we've got some you and Harry Poe yeah me, yeah me and Hal dude me and he's he's actually he's in the studio here you know he's, he's good yeah Say he's kind of. Yeah, he's in a he's in ensconced in linen, like a linen suit, seersucker. Tell him just, I'm just I'm literally just months away from volume three of his C.S. Lewis. Oh, yeah, he'll be he'll is, be delighted, dude. Yeah. Is he doing research on a biography of you, Ted? No, you know, not that I know of, but I'll uh, I'll ask him <laughs> once we get off the air. I th- I think as an interesting pipe. Have you ever met Harry Lee Poe, Hal Poe? I haven't. No, I'm just I'm only familiar with him because of my time in publishing and having seen his name on books. I Hal Poe. That's what we call him is Hal. That's the, yeah, I call, I call him Hal. Everybody calls him Hal around work. <laughs> yeah, that's his like real person name. Um, I think when he's when he's doing books, he calls himself Harry Lee Poe. But uh, yeah, like just in day to day life, it's Hal. But Pipe, Hal's sort of presence is... Um, it's not exactly the same as Ronnie's, but I think there would be some overlap there. I think it would be really interesting to get the two of you in a in a room together, Big R. Um, uh, explain. What do you mean? What do you mean? I mean, he's he's just got a presence, dude. Um, it's almost like when it's almost like he's doing Hal karaoke when he's just being himself. But like he he's just like he's doing the professor thing, and he's got it dialed up to a ten at all times. Um, and I like how, like, but I just, I just think it's, it's a fun persona and I think you would have fun with it. And, uh, I don't know. I'd, l- I'd like to make this meeting happen. Well, someday, um, man, someday invite me out to union, you know, yeah, for a power yeah. breakfast. Yeah. Power we'll, breakfast. We'll, we can we'll take some, we'll take some time with Hal 3000, you know, dude, it can't be a power breakfast with Hal though. It, it would have to be a very sort of, uh, a formal tea party. You know what I mean? That that would be part of his vibe. Um, we'd have to have a lot of different things on the table, a lot of a lot of like fancy sort of decanters and and things for the tea, and it, it would be a certain vibe. So I'll I'll have to scout some locations. This is going to be a it's it's going to be a long runway on this one, but I think I can mm. make it happen. Oh, yeah. I, I suspect there's some antebellum mansions around uh, Jackson that could host <laughs> such a, a gala. Oh, just a few, you know, I, th- I think we could scare one up, you know, I'll, uh, I'll see what I can do. Uh, but boys, we got to do some business first. We got to pay some bills. Uh, we're not, we're not doing radio for free these days. Uh, we'll be back after this quick break. 
Hey there, it's Carly Mercool, your host of Therapy and Theology, a weekly podcast that explores popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. All right, boys, we're back. Um, Piper, you threw a, a very interesting topic into the group chat, and you know, I, I think once we all thought about it, we we agreed that this was a thing. And we also agreed that this was a thing that gets talked about very early in the morning. Uh, in fact, way earlier than when we're recording. It's it's like 7.30 Central. So, you know, this would get talked about over breakfast, but not a glamorous breakfast, not like a Hal Poe type breakfast. Uh, it's a dude that thinks, <laughs> it's a thing that dudes talk about at 5.30 in the morning. Uh, and the topic is why is porn the only sin issue that men talk about anymore? Uh, and I thought this was fascinating pipe and true. And to be fair, I mean, it's, yeah, it's insidious. It's everywhere. It's really important that we, you know, talk about it and share about it with each other so that we can fight the sin together. But pipe, why do you think this is the only thing dudes talk about anymore? Sin wise. I it's I don't know because it's a really weird switch for me because you know twenty years ago uh, when I was in college, you know high speed internet had had now sort of taken over, which means you have a bunch of eighteen to twenty two year olds with computers in dorm rooms or apartments or whatever, and access to whatever the internet has to offer. It's the wild west, and so everybody's getting hooked on on porn or at least just has easy access to it. And everybody's utterly ashamed to talk about it. So like a, mm-hmm. a group of guys that gets together to talk about this is sort of me uh, really pushing the envelope in terms of honesty. Yeah. Somehow in the last 20 years, it has shifted to where like porn, porn is just it's a it's an it's a thing that people just talk about. I think people are still ashamed about it, but sure. it is easy to talk about in a sense, uh, in a yeah. lot of contexts. To you know, culturally, it's not even taboo anymore. But then at the same time, we have a greater understanding of how much damage it does, you know, psychologically, spiritually, relationally. So it's this weird shift. But what I've noticed is, especially when I'm getting together with young guys and they're like, they want to talk about stuff going on in their life, it always comes down to porn, and they never talk about I'm prideful, I'm angry, I'm you know. Uh, I have trouble with commitment or any of the stuff that you're like, that That might actually be a real problem in your life. Porn right. might actually be a symptom of a problem in your life. I, you know, so it's, I, I don't know why the shift is. It's just a thing I've observed where I'm like, I used to be uh, like afraid for my life to say this out loud at, sure. at 19. Now it's just like, I just assume it about everybody under the age of, you know, 50. Yeah. No, that's interesting. And and mm-hmm. yeah, I, I want to hear you on that too, baby. But Pipe, it occurred to me as you were speaking, like, and not to, you know, make this into the For the Church podcast, but if you're in a a healthy church that's preaching, you know, through the entirety of scripture, it it occurs to me that all the sins will get talked about. 
you know, and, and theoretically every sin struggle that we have would be addressed. So, you know, that's another argument for sound biblical teaching. Um, so I think in, in healthy church context, this should be happening theoretically, right, baby? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't disagree with that. It's, uh, you know, it's funny because it, it, it doesn't, I'll be honest with you guys. It doesn't come up a lot in, in my conversations with people. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not, it's not that I don't, it's not that I don't sort of assume a little bit like what pipe does, which is this is a massive problem mm-hmm. and um, it's so widespread and um, it's kind of permeating all kinds of different pockets of the church. But um you know, it definitely, you know, it definitely will get brought up, you know, in the context of sermons when we're talking about things that we, you know, really have to guard against. Um, but but there haven't been any like deep dives for me, uh, you know, into it with people, whether individually or as, you know, a, you know, kind of a teaching thing. And so and it hasn't, to be honest, it hasn't come up a lot. And, um, I know, I, I know when, so you guys can help me with this a little bit, because when I was in, when I was in Southern California, it came up a lot more. And since I've been in the Midwest, it's a little crickety. And, um, and, and I think that's a cultural thing for sure. Right. Yeah. But so if for some reason it's just not, I don't know that I ha- maybe I haven't created in a, you know, I feel like we create, we try to create an environment that that's open to talk about things that are hard. But I, it's just uh, maybe we haven't done a great job of that with this particular issue, but I, it just doesn't come up a lot in our context. I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, I think, you know, Pipe, you mentioned something about the the symptomatic nature of it. And, you know, it it occurs to me as I've gotten older, like I've become more comfortable with, with the people that I really talk to who are believers, who are who are dudes that I share my life with. You know, saying things like, I'm really having trouble trusting the Lord lately, or I'm feeling really especially hopeless lately or whatever. And then, you know, some of the other sin struggles are are symptoms of that feeling, right? So yeah. as we get older, we sort of become more adept at saying what's really going on in our hearts. And, you know, and it... And it can lead to all these other things for sure but well we either we either become more adept at it or we become terrible at it because yeah, that and, is true because you know i think we were raised by a generation and again painting with a broad brush but by and large who mm-hmm. were terrible at saying what was really going on in their heart you know the mm-hmm. the the idea of somebody who is now 70 years old you know who, who raised who raised us saying uh, something vulnerable, especially about sexual temptation or whatever, is yeah. is almost unfathomable. Ex- right. I mean, unless they're the type of person who has intentionally uh, uh, fostered that in their life. I think the thing I, I th- what sparked this question for me is I was reading a book months ago. I think it was one of one for school, maybe by Stanley Hauerwas. I can't even remember what it was, but he just made the point. He said. He basically was like, people are always talking about sexual temptation and whatever. He said, in reality, what they ought to be confessing is something like pride or idolatry, mm-hmm. because it's where the heart goes that then leads to this other temptation. He said that. So and I just thought about it and I thought of all the conversations I've had with guys generally under the age of 35 uh, who are their their marriages are struggling or they're just struggling to feel close to the Lord or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. 
they always focus in on the sexual sin. You know, I'm mm-hmm. struggling with porn. My mind is doing these things, whatever. Mm-hmm. And not, uh, I don't trust the Lord. I am prideful. Like they, the, the heart yeah. underneath it is completely out of there. They're completely out of touch with it as far as I can tell. Yeah. And so it, it seems to me that it's, it's sort of one of these greatest trick the devil ever pulled thing. You know, there's that there's yeah. that line from uh, Usual Suspects, the greatest trick the devil yep. ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. feels to me like that we've just moved on to the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing men porn is the only sin they need to talk about. And yeah, it just, they never get past it. That's so interesting. And it's a, it's a great point. And yeah, like, l- let me ask you both a conceptual question about, about the heart and about sort of church and pastoring, you know, it seems to me that one of the weaknesses of our tribe, and, I, and just to be clear, I really love our tribe. I love Reformed theology, and and I'm glad I go to that kind of church, and, you know, I'm all for it, but, you know, it, it tends to be, and even my church is like this a, a little bit, right? Like, we tend to be really good with the head, right? We're good with the intellect. We're good with our hands. You know, people are loving and serving and caring for each other and caring for our area. And we, we do a really good job with that. But I think in general, and again, broad brush painting here about our tribe, there's a, there's a little bit of a disconnect when it comes to the heart and talking about the heart and talking about, you know, this is something I've been feeling right. Like pride is pride. Isn't necessarily something you do. I mean, it, it often is, right? Like overweening pride can present in a lot of different ways, but um, it's definitely something that starts in your heart and that, that sort of carries a person or becomes an idol or whatever. And it, it just occurs to me that we're not great at talking about that stuff. And nobody's really setting the example. I mean, I'm sure there are people that are, but maybe I'm not aware of them in our tribe. What your thoughts on that, baby? Um, yeah, I think those are all really, I think those are all really good points. Um, I, you're saying like, it's kind of like to Pipe's point, like what's, what's the deeper thing that's even harder to talk about than that, that we, we can. Yeah. Or maybe even like, why is our tribe bad at heart stuff? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, um, I, I think because it's just, it's easier to, it's easier to sort of, uh, to sort of center around what's intellectually true. And rather than like something that is going to require you to be vulnerable and to like say, hey, this is what hurts. You know, the reason for this is based on a bunch of things that have gone undealt with in my life that are super painful um, thing, you know, because that's that's where all those things stem from. And so I think, you know, that definitely is a huge it's a huge miss with with Mm -hmm. our tribe, which is why. You know, thankfully, you're seeing you're seeing a lot of like um, new developments, I think, you know, from authors coming in saying, hey, we've been missing this. Let's make sure we don't miss this. And Mm -hmm. you're seeing you're seeing a bit of a like you see some pushback with that because it's like, well, you know, if it's not objective truth, I'm not really interested in it. And um, but it's it's like saying our emotions somehow are the enemy of objective truth. And they're they're not. They actually those two things have to be sort of combined for the greater truth, I think, to emerge. And man, again, welcome to For the Church podcast, but it's, uh, right. you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a huge thing that I think we're, we're making some strides in, but, yeah. um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not going to happen overnight because we are just more comfortable 
with facts and black and whiteness and yeah. you know it's a justification problem you know it's just everything's back yeah. to justification yeah and, and all this stuff and it's like well it, it is but it's not it's like right. there's comp there's complex roads that lead in and out and through justification and man we are just we're very narrow we're yeah. very narrow you know? Well, in in defense of our tribe, and I agree with all that. Those are those are really good points, and I, I agree that that we are a bit narrow. But you know, it's it's tough because you know our tribe, I think, is you know wary of if we talk about the heart. If we talk about the heart too much, you know, then we you know take a hard turn into like felt needs driven sort yeah. of sermons and content, and then you know, you're just navel gazing and like letting your own emotions steer the ship, which I, we would all agree is a bad move, but you know, I think being conversant in matters of the heart, matters of emotion, et cetera. Um, you know, I, I think ultimately it'll help us love the Lord more and be less secretive to your great point about the previous generation pipe. What, why do you think, and they are, man, they're so gosh dang secretive, <laughs> you know, like there's so much, we don't know about our parents' generation. Why do, why do you think that was? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it. so much of it is environmental in terms of what, what, what marks strength and weakness, um, yeah. what marks dignity and shame, uh, mm -hmm. those kinds of things. You know, if to, to be forthright about the reality of your heart. Well, first of all, I think some of it's just a category that doesn't exist. I mean, I've had yeah. some conversations with, with older, older Christians and, and it's it's almost like speaking a different language sometimes in terms of yeah. when you're talking about confession and things like that, where they just there's a category that just doesn't exist. So there's a a lot of it is teaching. A lot of it is probably the theology that they were taught in. You know, when you come out of sort of a, a, a hellfire and brimstone, Bible thumping, legalistic yeah. um, environment, confession is not safe. Confession right. is how you get the yeah. anvil dropped on you kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think. And then I think, and then I think, you know, you sort of have this, this reformed resurgence, you know, with like the J.I. Packers and then my dad and these others for a long time, which then became what, what used to be young, restless and reformed is now middle-aged, restless, no, not restless, mm. still reformed. And, uh, and, and you get the, the idea that, um, and I've heard it said, you know, right thinking leads to right action. You know, if you, mm -hmm. if you have the right beliefs, it'll shape everything else. And you look at it and you're like, then why are there so many reform people who are utter jerks? Like yeah. clearly right thinking doesn't lead to right action in that simple way. There has to be something else going on here. But I think that mindset, that mindset has been fostered where we're at now where reform people um, are reluctant to kind of speak in terms of, the like the aches of the heart or the brokenness of the heart or whatever it is right and 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 because falling back on systematic theology is easier like what ronnie was saying it's a justification so you're like okay fine but what does that even mean like right you can't tell me what that means you're just using language to deflect that's theological deflection is what that sounds like to me yeah. and uh and it's really hard to get around it because there's sort of a a uh, smugness and, and occasionally like a pomposity around like, but I have the right theological answers. And I'm like, and you're still arrogant and you're still looking at porn. So maybe your answers aren't so good. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. And I mean, being a jerk is nothing if not a matter of the heart. Right. Um, so there's something happening and, and it's not just reform guys who are jerks, right? There are jerks in every sort of 
strain of evangelicalism that we can think of. And, and it's, it is a matter of the heart, right? There's something there that isn't being satisfied or it's a lack of contentment, a lack of joy, a lack of hope or whatever that's causing someone to like, you know, roll out of bed in the morning and hop on Twitter and start like going at people. So, um, yeah, I, I, I do hope to be better at talking about those things the older I get. And, you know, part of that is like confessing bitterness to people and, and saying, I'm really struggling with this or whatever. Can you help? And, you know, that's the opposite of weakness, I think, even though, yeah, like generationally, even culturally, to your point, baby, there's, there's some of that cooked into like the, the Midwestern ethic of just like stiff, stiff upper lip it and, and move on, put your head down, keep grinding, which, a lot of that is laudable, right? Like there's, there's so much culturally about the Midwest that I love and celebrate. And yet it can, you know, uh, get in the way of, of really knowing people and being known. And, and the South is similar pipe, I would say. Yeah. You know? And yeah. you know, what's interesting about that too, is like, I think we've talked about this in the past, but I'm, I'm thinking about like my dad's generation who, mm-hmm. if he was alive, he, I'd be like 80 right now. So, you know, guy that yeah. was born post-depression baby, or, you yep. know, that whole thing. But there was there was a thing where and it's this sounds simplistic, but like there was a thing where if you didn't talk about a thing, it almost didn't exist. Yep. And um, and I always remember a comment he made, you know, when we were you know, we would be he was a big movie guy uh-huh. and he would say the problem today, the problem with Hollywood today is they just show everything. Whereas before they just didn't show everything. They would just hint at it. And I yeah. remember just thinking, like, well, you're, why? Why was it okay? Why was it okay just to? And I know, and I know, and I know. There's a, yeah. you know, kind of yeah. things that become more blatant. I, I know, I know that's not good. So this, this is not to try to try to be too black and white between those two things. Yeah. But there was something in what he was saying. If we had time to unpack it, which is yeah. like, hey, it's okay that it existed in the heart, um, it, 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 and they justified that by just sort of hinting at it or kind of walking around it, but not really dealing with it. It just, it just justified it in that they weren't acting it out in a way that, that brought us in, you know? And, um, and it was like, well, so what you're saying then is that as long as you don't talk about something, um, it's okay that you never have to to deal with it. Right. So dealing with it is not talking about it. That is, that's the catharsis right there that you just don't talk about it, but you never really do the work to sort of root out something that may be just existing in your mind. And for, I think for that generation, it was, it was almost like it was a wink and nod kind of generation, right? Like that's right. okay. As long as nobody sees you engaged in it. And now we've come to a place that just says, well, that's just insidious, you know, it yeah. all it's, and eventually it's going to come out, right. If it's untalked about. And sure. Um, so I don't know. It, it's, it's funny. And, and we probably to some of pipes points, you know, we probably have a way of, you know, thinking that we're being more vulnerable and talking about some, so we can talk about it now, but does that mean we're actually still doing the hard work of the heart? You know, right. yeah. just that, because we talk about it, we think we're okay. And we're not. That's, you know? that's, that's the crazy thing is like the pendulum has swung exactly the opposite direction. So it used to be, don't talk about it. It doesn't exist. Now it's talk about it and it solves it. And, exactly. and there's, and both of those things are, are ending up in the same place, which is we're completely ignoring whatever is going on in the heart that that that's actually causal in all of this. Yeah. There you go. There it is. Yeah. Good word, boys. KK just brought me a hot cup of coffee. Thank you, baby. Nice. Thanks KK. 
Yeah. Hey, tell her to send me one over. I, I can yeah, yeah. The boy, the boys want coffee too. So yeah, if, if we can make that happen, boys, we got to make some business happen. Uh, it's time to take another break. We'll be back in two and two. Quick question: Would you consider yourself a founder, innovator, or trailblazer on mission to grow, show, and share your faith through creative pursuits like speaking, writing, or testifying? Perhaps even as an entrepreneur. If the answer is at all yes, I'd love to invite you to my Audible gym, the Fit and Faith podcast. I'm Tamara Andress. I'll be your trainer. Don't worry. This isn't a sweaty fitness podcast. This is where you will be mentally, emotionally, financially, and spiritually flexing as we endure, shape, and sharpen our skills to be messengers for the kingdom. Let's get Fit and Faith. All right, we're back. Pipe, you threw another intriguing topic into the group chat, and it was thinking about our lives uh, by decade. So what's your outlook on life in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s in some cases? Um, And I thought this was really interesting, and I had some things for it just as I rolled the topic around that were like kind of more concrete and fun and things that were more conceptual. Uh, Let's start with our 20s collectively what like what was our mindset in our 20s like what what were we thinking about what were we enjoying um pipe it was your topic so we'll start with you yeah i this topic came to mind i don't know several episodes ago because i don't know we were just all three of us currently sit in a different decade by you know we're by number uh Mm. and so we were just comparing something and i was like huh that's fascinating that just the, the way that the way that we approach things I think it had to do with like work and satisfaction and things like that at the yeah. time. In my twenties, that's a tough one because I I got married and had kids at twenty two. Uh, yeah. Well, had a kid at twenty two, so my twenties do not look like most people's twenties today. Um, yeah. Because I was, I was juggling like trying to be a grown up uh, and and be responsible while also having all of the twenty year old sort of arrogant rashness confident i knew everything so i think the way i the the way that i answer this in terms of like where i stood in commonality with all other 20 year olds is i i was really certain of how how much i knew about (laughs) everything yeah and uh and just spoke with such bold confidence and was such an utter jackass uh in mm. in almost every area of life so just <laughs> yeah. i mean i i, I there i don't think there was a single area that i could look back on and be like man you are really really mature and humble and vulnerable like no just just cocksure about everything and yeah. and also the because of that the decade that like it 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 was when the shine began to get knocked off me because you know, yep. when you're confident, you know everything. You end up doing and saying stupid things that, thankfully, in my case, God used to to actually humble me. But yeah, so it was it was the decade of like, man, I could do anything. I know everything. Mm-hmm. I I can walk into a VP's office in my company, and be like, hey, I got some ideas on how we can improve this joint and yeah. uh, that kind of thing. So yep. that that was kind of my general outlook during my twenties. Yeah, that's good, man. I I went a little more concrete with this one in that. So I like you. I got married young. I got I was married at twenty. Um, so we were young, finishing up college in the early part of the twenties. Like I just remember really liking our apartments. We had like a run of of really great apartments, and I'm sure they were actually crappy. And I know they were crappy, but we loved them, and we were doing like 
early 20s married kid stuff like trying to find furniture at thrift stores and like going out to you know a dollar movie theater that makes me sound like i'm 85 years old but i just remember having a lot of fun together and like if something breaks in the apartment you just call the super you know and you you kind of feel like you're you're mimicking someone who's living as an adult but you're (laughs) you're feeling proud about it too and in terms of insufferability pipe um, I think we were insufferable in a slightly different way in that we were the, um, we were the couple that was like, well, you know, everybody else in our small group is shallow. Uh, no one, no one knows how to be real and authentic like us. And it's really hard, you know, it's really kind of isolating. And we were so insufferable about stuff like that. I, I think probably my dad wanted to give me a beating from like age 20 to age 28. And he, <laughs> he, he probably should have. You know, honestly, he could have used his old man strength and like smacked me around. It would have done me some good. But um, the fun part about it was was dreaming, getting started in the career, getting started in writing, feeling like I could take it anywhere and do anything. And um, I do miss that. That was a lot of fun. Uh, what about you, baby? 20s. Oh, man, I, I was 20s were just like. I was pushing everything so, so hard. My, tw- I felt mm-hmm. like I was in my 60s, in my 20s. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was over the hill. Life had already passed me by. Yeah. All the stuff that I wasn't able to do as a teen, I was trying to make, make up for in terms of like, I, I was so ridiculous. I felt like I, I felt like I had, I had to be where I'm at today, like by 26. And yeah. so I, you know, so for me, that was working so hard with all this music stuff. And I mean, it was just manic times, right? So you're, Mm -hmm. you're, you're thinking so narrow, like Piper said, you're thinking so narrowly about literally everything in your life. You have like the, you have the least, you know, you have the least like wisdom filled perspective on -hmm. everything you think. And so everything that you approach and that you're attacking and that you are trying to accomplish is done with that kind of mind and that kind of heart. And so yeah. it's just, when I look back at my twenties, I just think chaos. I'm yeah. trying to pursue too many things. Um, I have my first baby. I'm married. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, a, and every, and everything is just, it's like, just, it's, it's literally just chaos in the ether surrounding yeah. me. And that's Definitely. how, that's how I remember it. Yeah. But how old were you when you had the kid? 25. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was 27 when we when we got Tris. So it's more like the 30s are more the parenting decade for me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that felt it it's funny with career stuff and it's funny you, you interesting you said all that. Like I was the same way in my 20s, but before I had a kid it felt really control controllable. It felt like I was at the wheel. You know what I mean? And I could I could steer it however I wanted and even though it was manic, it was like my manic. Um but like throwing a kid into the mix immediately alerted me to the fact that I can't do everything, you know, because kids require so much. So we had Tris at 27. I think we were 30 when we got Mazzy. So yeah, dude, raising two little boys in your thirties, trying to make it in a career, trying to be a part of your church. That's when you start to get typically a little like responsibility in the church and, Maybe you're leading a small group or teaching a Sunday school class or whatever. And buying a house, you know, doing all the like really doubling down on being an adult. And um, I just remember that feeling weighty, you know, like the the big dreams and the big like 
we're going to conquer the the world vibes of your 20s. They were still there. They were still around. I was still doing fun stuff, playing some football, writing some books, coaching, you know, a lot of really joyful stuff. But yeah, it was it was tiring doing the dad thing of young kids. What what about you in the 30s pipe? Yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm about a month away from done with my 30s, month and a half. So I I feel like it's I'm at that point of the the 30s retrospective, uh, you know, yep. st- staring down the barrel of 40. But yeah, it, 30s have been weird for me in in mostly good ways, but I I'd say it's been the hardest decade of my life just mm-hmm. due to some a whole bunch of circumstances and also probably I don't know how to say the best decade, but I'd say the one that sets me up the best for, okay, now, now I have a sense of what I'm actually supposed to do with my life. You know? So in my twenties, I was basically like my, my life consists, I mean, similar to what Ronnie said, there was a sense of chaos, always wanting to be where I wasn't. Um, Every two years I wanted to be at a different job because this one wasn't satisfying. This one wasn't providing enough money, whatever. My Mm thirties have been more the case of like learning how to put my hand to what's in front of me and do it well, because I don't know what else to do. Um, Mm -hmm. also when I've, you know, was, was called into the ministry and I looked down the road and I'm like, okay, this, this, this is the thing that I could see doing for the rest of my life. Uh, unlike any job I had prior. Um, so yeah, it feels to me like it's, it's sort of the, the, the turning point thus far in my life to like, okay, this is what, this is what you will be doing and who you will be. I mean, not that there won't be growth, but a trajectory yeah. henceforth. So I'm actually really looking forward to my forties because I feel like, okay, there's, there's some roots, there's more wisdom than there used to be. I also have a greater understanding of how little I know than I did in, you yeah. know, rolling into my thirties. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it, it feels like a setup decade, you know, I'm yeah. in a place where I can, I can do the rest of my life, hopefully with some, with some level headedness, with some trust in the Lord, with some financial stability, with some, you know, all those things that you're like, are these dreams fulfilled? Not really, but it's a good life. So, you know, yeah. it kind of reshapes what those things should be. Oh man, that's so good. good. Your description of your thirties strikes me as almost to a word, my description of my forties, mm. like all that. I was, was thinking the same thing. Yeah. And talk about that, baby. Like as he was talking, I'm like, all that stuff has occurred for me, but it occurred in my forties. Like we moved down here, took the, took the teaching job at a university. Lord willing, we'll be here the rest of the way. And yeah, yeah, some unfulfilled dreams, but really for the most part, enjoying doing what's in front of me day by day. And, and I I think the thing about my forties and you, you can talk baby about your thirties and your forties, but like, there's a sense of, I I have more than any other time in my life a sense that God is putting things in front of me to do. Whereas in my 20s, it was all like, what do I want to do? And what can yep. I do? Yep. But, but now it's like, oh, the Lord's clearly giving me an opportunity to disciple that dude or to do this thing at my church or whatever. And I'm really enjoying that. It's a better way to live. And I wish it hadn't taken me four decades to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, what about you, baby? Yeah, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of commonality there for me. I think 30, you know, again, I I was, I was, I was really on a, on a, on kind of a one note trajectory in my 20s and 30s with Mm -hmm. music and pursuing those things. And then, you know, up into, you know, God did a major work in my mid 30s, dad passes, ministry stuff is happening. And so, Mm -hmm. 
that's when uh, I think that's when things became simultaneously like unstable, but leading into a more stable life, which then happened really in, in my in my 40s in some ways. So it was, uh, I, you know, it's like being a late bloomer with some of these mm-hmm. things, you know, kind of entering, entering like new eras of your life, but mm-hmm. doing it a little bit later than, you know, what the, the playbook usually tells you it's supposed to be. And so, um, you know, even ministry for me, you know, coming in, you know, a little bit later, you know, planting a church um, in my early 40s, you know, again, the stuff that you're not supposed to, quote unquote, not supposed to do. So I think, um, yeah, I think the 30s, I would say the 30s were a setup. They were kind of like the, they were like the, uh, they were the the staging um, in a lot of ways for what God was doing. And finally, just kind of, you know, rinsing out some of these things that had been so ingrained over the past the earlier couple of decades and yeah. finally just bringing some really, I would say this, bringing some noticeable sanctification uh, mm-hmm. into my life and just some, some opportunities where the Lord said, Hey, here's the thing. I'm going to have to pull the rug out in a couple of these areas because you have to learn how to trust me and mm-hmm. you know, those types of things. So that just didn't start kicking in until about my mid thirties. And those were major, major like changes for me. And, um, and again, kind of like what pipe said, um, just kind of knocking the whole like um, I'm the guy that has the answer for everything mm-hmm. on its head, and and having those moments where you look and you go, oh, this is this is so ridiculous and so terrible and so mm-hmm. miserable. But it's those moments where um, you finally are getting getting back to the nature of your of your true self as a child of God, and and you know what it is that He's asking you to do and who you need to who you need to be. So it's it's painful, super like thirties painful stuff 40s painful stuff there's a lot of pain for me in both those decades but at the same time i go but i but i'm so i'm so much more like christ because of that and it's and it's just it's just true it's and it just continues you know so i don't know that's it's the trajectory now so less about me more about christ doing something in me and and man it's brutal It's, it's just absolutely brutal but there it is you know yeah and that's that's good that's aspirational stuff right that's what we want um, Piper, a little production question for you. Should we close it down now and do a Patreon or should we take one more break and come back and I, I could interview you with some 40 stuff? Oh. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's close it down and do a Patreon. Maybe we can, we can talk about being 40 later. I mean, we gotta, we gotta find content for a future episode somehow. So, you know, <laughs> absolutely. if, we if any of us geriatrics can remember, we'll do that on a future episode. Need more of God's power in your life? I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical tips on how to grow your faith through prayer. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com. Okay, then. Pipe, we've done what we always do on this program, in that we've uh, wandered to and fro throughout some less funny and more thoughtful topics this morning. And until next time. We want to take a moment to thank the team at Life Audio for partnering with us on this podcast. Be sure to go to lifeaudio.com and take a look at the other podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. I'm Don Hawkins, and I once heard Chick-fil-A founder Truett Cathy say, you can tell if a person needs encouragement, check to see if they're breathing. 
I'd like to invite you to my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You, featuring encouraging guests like Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley, Dan Cathy, the late Dr. Frank Menrith, Josh McDowell, and more. To subscribe to my weekly Encouragement for You podcast, go to lifeaudio.com. That's lifeaudio.com.